Before we get into this episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, let's just check in on Detective Glenn Twenty. Are you there? <laughs> yeah, seems like he's still stuck in that bloody train line. Anyway. to UB40 for screwing up our theme and welcome to episode 34 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show and other D-Generation comedy tidbits. My name is Matt and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel and Kim. Alright, and we're still off for the moment. She's been on a wacky holiday right now so hopefully she'll be back in the next episode. So good day, Prue. And Tony will be back later on as well. Now, just a big shout out to Natalie, who says she smiles nonstop with memories that our podcast generates. So thank you, Natalie. Appreciate it. Hey. Also, um, we've got a big water key and some going on here, but it's all positive stuff. (laughs) And that is to listener Martin Stevens, who has listened to episode 31, even though this is episode 34. Thank you for listening. He just wants to point out, in fact, you know what? I might as well just squeeze this one into. <laughs> yeah, disco pedantry. Yes. The finger is kind of pointing towards all of us, but mainly at, oh, you know what? I won't name any names. But <laughs> this. Uh, I, think, was, I, think, I think you'll find out as soon as you read out the, the feedback, but anyhow. Yeah, it's in regards to some program guide that's on this show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> in, this is episode 31, by the way. Uh, the U2 concert that he's mentioned in the episode guide, he says that the one that's on at 11.45 would have been the outside broadcast special, which was a mix of concert footage, interviews, fake interviews, or fake news, and mockumentary-type content. I know this because I recorded it. If anyone is yes, a Yes, I know this because I recorded it. I love that. A man after my own heart. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a YouTube fan, but I can understand somebody recording anything and everything, especially when it's simulcast on Triple M as well. <laughs> so uh, if anyone is a YouTube fan, it's a must watch. It was partially included, but not all of it, unfortunately, on a DVD in the Octoon Baby 20th anniversary set that was released in 2011. But he doesn't need it because he's got his trusty videotape. Point number two, uh, adults named Stevie. Do you remember this conversation? Uh, This was about uh, Steve or Stevie Jacobs. Yes. Who was guest hosting um, Hey 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 that night from memory. Yeah, so other adults named Stevie was Stevie Wright from the Easy Beats and Stevie Wonder. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very exclusive club, that one. As well as point three. Warnicky's review of Rocky 2 was incorrect. So unless Daniel had ad-libbed this bit, Apollo Creed won the fight with Rocky and not Rocky Baboa. Verbatim from Warnicky was... Uh, this 1979 episode is the least imaginative of the series, with Rocky suffering the inevitable fall after, a spoiler alert from me, his victory in the original film. But, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't know this because I haven't watched any any Rocky. Again, not, not a YouTube fan, not a Rocky fan. 
I like Rocky Seven, Adrian's Revenge. <laughs> Sorry, that's really an obscure Simpsons reference there. On the slight side, he had this is Martin still. I bought one of the seasons of All Together Now on DVD a couple of years ago just to see if it was as hilarious as he remembered. Now, uh, well, it wasn't for most part of it. Uh, Stevie, sorry, Steve Jacobs was a <laughs> terrible actor. <laughs> Smiley face. Uh, also, there's a blink and you miss it moment where Kevin Harrington from Underbelly Sea Change and also The Dish. Yeah. Yep. Is in the audience of some TV show in an episode. Oh, like a show within a show scenario? Yeah. He also says, it's great to have you back on my drives at to and from work, even though he is a month late. So thank you very much, Martin, and downloading. I do I do kind of wonder how well this is all going to age to uh, to people listening in the future. Uh, it's already aged when we've had our competitions and stuff. Speaking of which, don't forget to enter the, our Bar Jars competition. So record your favourite quote, then also do a raspberry fart noise or whatever. Email to champagnelateshow at gmail.com because I want to make a mashup of it. Get it to us before uh, episode 40 comes out and you could win a bluey box set thanks to mygeekculture.com.au and runner-up also gets a champagne edition DVD of the Late Show Best Pits. I've got the paper. <laughs> Daniel Genie's program guide. Thanks, Matt. So this is what was up against season two, episode fourteen, from Ross Warnke's critical guide in the Saturday Age, uh, starting with Channel Seven, and we've got Inspector Morse. Uh, the episode is titled "The Setting of the Sun," uh, and. Pretty much similar to uh, might have been last episode or the episode before, Ross Warnke seems to describe this almost like a, a comedic farce. Uh, says Warnke, Morse is in a pickle. He was having dinner with all the suspects when a Japanese student at Oxford was murdered. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it sounds like a wacky comedy rather than a grim whodunit. You know what I think? If you have a neighbour or someone, if you live in a suburb that Inspector Morse is in or a part of, you guarantee you're going to end up dead one day. Either that or having dinner with him and turn up as a suspect. (laughs) All right, turning to Channel 9, we've got Hey Hey It's Saturday. Quite a lot going on. Uh, We had Girlfriend performing Heartbeat. Uh, Lou Richards plugging his uh, video Lou's Larrikins for funny photos. Then we had uh, Shane Warne live in studio uh, for an interview, as well as a bit of a demo of his famous flipper, along with a bat with Dean Jones. Uh, Then we had Weddings, Parties, Anything, performing Monday's Experts. In Molly's melodrama, uh, he plugs John Farnham's Seemed Like a Good Idea at the time, and also plays the uh, video clip featuring the D-Gen. He also gives us the news that Meatloaf's new album, has gone platinum in Australia because of the single I uh, would do anything for love, uh, but I won't do that. Oh, God, so there's like three people in that episode who aren't part of us anymore, so... Oof. I know, it's a bit... We're all getting old, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> On Red Faces, we uh, had the judges, uh, Nicky Vent from Cropless Now and uh, Stevie or Stephen Jacobs, take your pick, from All Together Now. Uh, then we had sitting in with the studio band uh, Alex uh, Pertout and Tony Hicks performing Papa Gala. Then we had Dean Hutton uh, nearly deafening Daryl and the audience uh, doing uh, some uh, sound science. And uh, Seven Stories uh, finished things up performing Prince of Hollywood. Uh, then at 8.30, we had the classic movie To Sue With Love. Uh, Ross Warnicke calls it the fad film of the 60s. Lulu's theme song was Top of the Pops for Ages, but it has dated rapidly. Thackeray, played by Sidney Poitier, 
A West Indian teacher is thrown in at the deep end when he is given charge of a class of tough London kids. And um, doesn't want to come off as a real fuddy-duddy using the phrase top of the pops. <laughs> Pro- probably about as much as me using the phrase fuddy-duddy just then. <laughs> uh, over on Channel 10, uh, again, they seem to be moving away from movies and more into mystery because uh, on Channel 10 at 8.30, we've got the Ruth Randell Mysteries. Uh, the conclusion of the premiere two-part episode, the previous part was last night, of a new series of British whodunits starring George Baker as Inspector Wexford. Uh, it's Wolf to the Slaughter Part 2. Uh, Detective Inspector Wexford and his assistants investigate when they receive an anonymous note that a girl has been murdered. Uh, then on SBS, uh, we've got uh, another classic film, and... Um, Again, uh, it's uh, one in English, which is a bit of a rarity for them. Meet John Doe from 1941, an ambitious but sometimes jumbled American political slash social drama about a manipulative tabloid journalist played by Barbara Stanwyck who uses a naive, down-at-heart ex-baseballer played by Gary Cooper to spearhead a dubious political campaign directed by Frank Capra. Or as the ad in The Green Card really pithily put it, Media manipulation as a fake suicider jumps into the hearts of America. Okay, and that leaves us with the ABC. So we've got our traditional lead-in, Birds of a Feather. This week's episode titled Parting, Sharon is faced with an impossible choice when her jailed husband tells her he is seriously ill. Uh, meanwhile, Dorian has uh, an impossible choice uh, trying to work out who to sleep with because she's a dead cat. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't, don't slut shame Dorian. <laughs> Let's be sex positive around here. I can still, I can still dirty cow her, though. You, you can dirty cow her because you can be a dirty cow for all sorts of things. True, true. Uh, but listening for the late show, again, Warnicky is still not changing from his usual satire and sketch comedy from Melbourne's DJ. Then at 11 o'clock, we've got Redemption, a British teleplay starring Tom Courtney and Miranda Richardson. The listing in the Green Guide, uh, so this is not Warnicky, but yeah, he didn't offer much to, to go on, but uh, the listing in the Green Guide says that uh, the return of Stan Peachy after 16 years brings panic and violence to a small village. Just the sort of thing you want to watch after an hour of top laughs. Uh, at 12.30, ATVI News, and then 1am Rage with guest programmers, The Baby Animals. Oh, not Baby John Burgess? No, I wish it was. <laughs> I do wonder what his, um, what his picks would be. They should, we should start a petition for Baby John Burgess to program Rage one night. Wow. I'm hoping that The Baby Animals picked Baby John Burgess's version of their song. Of one word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get on with the uh, forensic detail of uh, Season 2, Episode 14. Thank you very much, Daniel. As you mentioned, Season 2, Episode 14 of The Late Show is about to be picked like no tomorrow, which was broadcast (laughs) Saturday, September 18, 1993. Now, this is one of the most cleverest openings that they've done, and it is Mick and Tony in their, quote, apartment, and quote, brainstorming ideas for the next show and they're coming up with nothing. And so when their jokes aren't up to scratch, they start reminiscing about last season's jokes. Now, this <laughs> whole scene, did you notice how many Easter eggs or little bits and pieces are in their apartment? 
Yeah. Yeah, the Sing yeah. the Slipper t-shirt is there. Uh, there's a, the Copper Crazy Award from last year in the foreground. There was a Dinkum Street sign from the yeah. the pilot, yeah. the unseen pilot of the late late show, I believe it was. Yeah, the, the ill-fated Channel 9 pilots. But which you can see a snippet of it in the Best of the Degeneration DVD. And the old uh, Viking helmets there. <laughs> Where's Salmon book as well. Oh, yeah. And I also found a Late Show Breakfast cereal box and the board game. Oh, yeah, that's the one where, oh, I forget the joke, it's where they um, roll the dice and um, it's in order to work out how, uh, how many people are watching. <laughs> I, I did get a kick out of Tony really scratching the bottom of the barrel with his impression. How's this? This is the great Japanese actor Toshiro Mifune doing the theme from Happy Days. And he goes, Oh, Sunday, Monday, Happy Days! This is one of those sketches where, like, you know, they always say on the commentaries and that, you know, we we just didn't have enough material to fill in the hour. And, you know, we were really trying to stretch things out. And this is really a good example of that. It's like all the jokes that we rejected because they were too bad, here's a way to burn through them all and fill up some time. And that that's totally yeah. what this sketch is about. They do it really well, I think. You know, you can you can get a you can get some big laughs out of bad material if you set it up in the right way, which they have here. But yeah, this is. I think this is essentially just a, an excuse to fill a bit of airtime. Yeah, and I mean, I have no freaking idea who uh, Toshiro Mifune is, but you know, I just know that that impression is funny. I don't know who he is, but I know who Bob Hawke is. <laughs> that impression. Yeah, what, why is he doing a Bob Hawke impression in 1993? I think I think that that's kind of like we've got to fill in some time. Oh, here's a, here's an impression of a guy who's no longer relevant. <laughs> Before they decided to break out the emergency Bart Simpson jocks, they did get a knock on the door. Hey guys, surprise! Jesus Christ! Surprise. I thought I could do one of those big musical finales, you know. And now here's Philip Bailey. Oh, I thought you said Philip Brady. Bloody celebrity stooge, Philip Brady. And I would have loved to have heard Phil's take on Easy Lover as well. <laughs> Who would have done the Phil Collins part then? Oh, gosh. Phil uh, Cleary. Yeah, Phil Cleary would be a good one. Phil Cleary or Philip Bailey and then Bill Collins. Ah. Yeah, Bill Collins. That's, oh. <laughs> yeah, th- that'd be a good duet. That's right, Easy Lover. Oh, I don't know what that was there. <laughs> it was very, keep working on it. Yeah, I will. You know, speaking, speaking of impressions that are no longer relevant, keep, keep working on it, man. I should point out that someone um, earlier this month also made this uh, comment. Christo Ferguson on March 5 said, can someone tell me why Bill Collins and Philip Brady covering Easy Lover never appeared on The Late Show? Ah, there we go. Wow. <laughs> so after they realise that the show is about to start, they quickly escape via the Bat cave down, <laughs> a la, down the down the bat poles. Down the bat poles, straight into the studio, and that's where after the opening titles, he had the opening remarks. Now, here's the strange part: they're referring to in the opening remarks that they're crossing over to Woomera, the exorcism capital. Now, I could not find anything. Ah, I googled it. I googled it. It's it's a it's not a nice story. Let's put it that way. Um, there's a town in the Wimmera region of Victoria called Antwerp. And oh. back in the early 90s, there was a man who became convinced that his wife was possessed by the devil. And this led, you know, to to members of the town 
exercising this woman. And it's very distressing to read the details of it, but there were some funny, kind of funny aspects to it. One of which was that they wrapped the house in cling film, or in glad wrap, rather. I should do that again because cling film's the British word. There was a weird detail to this story. They ended up wrapping the house that this woman lived in in glad wrap seven times. They ran around the house with the glad wrap seven times. So, um, yeah, some very was that, interesting was, was that, details. Was that to make the house lose weight like the full Monty? <laughs> well, no, it was no. The demons, it, it the demons was. From that that woman just fresh. No, it was to keep the demons <laughs> in the house. And and there were all these all these strange things that they did. There were some awful, awful things that they did to this woman. But there were some really odd things that they did as well, which I guess is why they can make comedy out of it. But, but yeah, yeah, if you want to read the distressing details, you can Google it and it's all there online. Yeah, apparently the house is still there and it's kind of haunted and teenagers try and sneak in and, and yeah. hold seances and things in there. Wow. What I like about um, the way uh, Tony and Mick treat it, well, especially Tony, is that he sort of focuses on the one little um, aspect of it, which is that it's always called the sleepy township of Wimmer. Yes. It's like that old journalistic cliche. Pedant, pedantry is technically the sleepy township of Antwerp in the Wimmer. Pedantry. There anyway, we go. Whatever. Can we comment on Mick's attire here? He's double down. Oh, at, yeah. Okay. Tucked in his shirt and, yeah, what, what's all that about? What's all that about? <laughs> it, it's a very 90s outfit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah and to, Tony's green jacket, the big the big oversized jacket as well, is is got a real... 90s vibe people loved a bit of baggy clothing in that era still he's he's rocking the the jacket with the late show t-shirt underneath mm-hmm. that's what I makes it classic i don't mind a, a bit of that uh, mix of the it, formal it, and informal yeah i i i you know that's still a popular look except it's that particular green color of the jacket which just reeks of the early 90s bring it all back bring it all back well do you know what? We are, we are probably seconds away from it coming back because there is quite a lot of 90s fashion that I see being worn around by the young hip to, hipster oh, folk. Yeah, oh, yeah. my daughter yeah. went to a birthday party last week and at least six people had baggy kind of, yeah, lumberjack style shirts and jeans, baggy jeans, very baggy. Parachute Not, tracksuit yeah. tops, they're back in, in Larry colours. Uh, it's a big, yeah. big look right now for your hipster type. I see a whole bunch of teenagers and all that wearing kind of borderline rat's tails or, you know, mullet type things. Oh, yeah, it was and a well, mullet day mm-hmm. the other yeah. day. <laughs> it's like, you're so close, just bring back the undercut and it'll be all will be fine again. Apart from, from talking about um, Antwerp slash Wimmera, there's sort of, there's not much structure to this uh, monologue. It's sort of them pretty much riffing on the rest of uh, what's coming up in the show. Yeah, like the one where Mick is kind of pointing out the future music sketch. Watch that sketch with great interest because you're going to see one of the greatest pashes between two cast members you have ever seen. Please, please, don't. No one leave us, not that bad. I can assure you Tommy G is not involved. (laughs) Referring to Danny Minogue coming up. It, it is pretty good pash, but, you know, that that's getting ahead of ourselves. I have to say that I quite like the line where they talk about Paul Keating um, annoying the British press because of his, because of Keating's views on, on the royal family and Tony pointing out that 
well, you know, having a go at the royal family is actually the British press's role, and that's why they're annoyed with Paul Keating for doing it. So um, that that's a good line, good early 90s reference there. And now it's over to the news desk with Tommy G. Now let's skip the quick little stubby headlines and go straight into the peace agreement between Israel and the PLO, which has been signed. And this is more or less the whole sketch about Rob Sitch dressing up as Yasser Arafat. That's what this Yay! whole news desk was about. Fan favourite, this sketch, I think. The only really good part is the part where <laughs> Santo, you know, makes a little cameo. Oh, the tea towel. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. also this uh, sparkling repertoire. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, Mr. Arafat. Yes, sir. <laughs> Some have... Yes, sir. Um... Um, I think what, uh, what I like out of this uh, whole routine is uh, Rob as, uh, as Yasser Arafat uh, doing the sort of weird eyes, like almost like he's startled awake. And it's sort of like it's sort of catching Tom by surprise uh, the way the audience reacts to it. Like yeah, he says at one point, "Did I miss something?" <laughs> he, he genuinely seems to not know what's going on, does he? Which is which is kind of nice. But I mean, it, it's it's a sort of it's a it's a solid sketch. But I really think it's the eye thing that that makes it. You know, it's the, it's it's in the performance that it comes alive. Mm. You know, I love the fact that uh, towards the end of it, where. Uh, Yasser or Rob decides to break the fourth wall and go straight from the satellite to the news desk and just to demonstrate on Tommy how he does his greetings. And again, you see you see that sort of um, battle, I suppose we could call it, between Tom and Rob. Uh, yeah, Tom, Tom going, yeah, I think we've got the idea and Rob saying, I can go on forever and Tom replying, <laughs> I know you can. Rob was completely... Completely trying to break Tommy. Oh, yeah. Didn't quite succeed, though, did he? Well, uh, Tom, Tom got the last word in. He stuck his tongue in. <laughs> also, there was a story about the Olympic news where China had pulled out all stops by cleaning out the city with lots of very awkward visual gags. Yeah, a few of those stereotypes might still ring true. Um, yeah, talking yeah, talking about human rights and yeah, that China's China's not so good a global citizen, essentially, even in 1993. But in sport, though, uh, China's Wang Young uh, breaks the record for the 3,000 metres and accused of steroid taking. The Australian Institute of Sport believes they were taking bowls to sustain instead. That, that was a good... <laughs> Side gag because at the time they were just plugging the crap out of the sustain, weren't they? Can you still buy that? Yeah, but it's yeah. all but it's got like multiple flavors now. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's uh, endorsed anymore by the uh, by the AIS though. Was it was it developed by them or did they just endorse it? Because because the implication was all oh, you know Australia's top athletes have this cereal you should too kind of thing. Yeah, I, su- I suppose it's more about whether they were paid to or whether they thought it would help them run faster. Straight out the news desk, this was a very awkward sketch. Which okay, it's more or less it was based on the period drama, the miniseries Queen. It's, I think it's, that... a, it's a political comment, yes, I guess yes. you'd yeah. say, and and that that is in keeping with the theme of the miniseries, which was about. Well, it's written by Alex Haley, who's, I guess, more famous for Roots, which was yeah. his story of, of his African-American family, their journey from enslavement to freedom and, and so on. And and this this is a, more of a, this is a fictional story, Queen, which, which is the story of former slaves and, and how they make their way in the world in the 19th and 20th century. And obviously part of that story is racism and being beaten up by white people essentially and 
And there's a bit in the sketch which I guess echoes the Rodney King incident. Yeah. And and so yeah, it's 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 political comment really. I can tell you a little bit about um, about the, the miniseries uh, Queen. Uh, so it screened on Channel Nine at eight thirty uh, the previous Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday. Um, and yeah, it tells the story of Alex Haley's paternal grandmother. Um, the, uh, the the listings say that uh, the daughter uh, a Queen was the uh, daughter of an Alabama plantation owner and a slave. Uh, and Queen's mixed race makes her an outcast. She finds herself alone when her father is sent to fight in the Civil War and her mother dies. Um, and uh, sort of later on in the miniseries, uh, she has the difficulty uh, of accepting the kindness of her new employer and his neighbour, Alec Haley. Uh, Mr Haley's offer of friendship turns into marriage when he breaks through her tough exterior. And, like, uh, it starred Halle Berry as, as the, the title mm. of Queen, um, at least to begin with, I think, like as, as the younger um, version of, of the main character. I've actually got the list of the stars in it, like the main stars, if you want me to yeah. read them out, unless you've already got them. Well, let's hear it from you. Well, I've got here, it says, Stars Anne Margaret, Danny Glover, Raven Simone, Martin Sheen, Jane mm. Krakowski, and, as you said, Halle Berry. That's a pretty good cast, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, also, just a, this little bit uh, I can read from the Green Guide review by Mark Lawrence. Uh, it does not have the epic feel of Roots and has occasional annoying lapses into melodrama, but overall it's a stylishly acted, well-directed and impressively reconstructed portrayal of another period of the American Blacks' battle for dignity and justice. Uh, Queen is definitely worth your attention, but it may struggle to hold viewers for three nights. So, yeah, it was on um, uh, Sunday, Monday and Wednesday... On Tuesday, uh, they just ran Australia's Funniest Home Video Show, All Together Now, Married with Children, Hail and Pace, and a US drama series about three rookie female cops called Sirens. Um, I'm guessing that uh, they just didn't want to mess with that programming perfection on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing comes easy, trying to get it all together now. Why couldn't the cops have come onto that show? <laughs> <laughs> now it's back to the stage and Judith introduces the music video, Danny Minogue, Holy Shit. Holy Shit! Holy shit. <laughs> Right there Whee! is when they went in for the pash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The pistake of This Is It, Jane as Danny and Jace as Julian McMahon. Yeah, another perfect <laughs> satirical take on this. I really enjoyed that. And obviously this big cheer from the audience when Jason and Jane kissed. And, <laughs> yeah, I was not into Jason back then, but after looking at this clip, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and also, um, yeah, there was a little joke afterwards, which we'll get into um, later about about how that was actually filmed. But the, the attention to detail, especially the beach balls, yeah. <laughs> they just actually had holy shit spelled out on those. That was really good too. Where was that actually filmed? St Kilda, was it? Kind of looked vaguely like it could be St Kilda or somewhere like that. This this is where we we've got no yeah, one from yeah, Melbourne we, on we the did, panel. Melbourne, yeah, so all these right. Melbourne people are yeah. screaming, going, hey, "What's that? Where are <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to say St Kilda, and someone from Melbourne can correct me on that because I think St Kilda is the most 
sort of Melbourne beach location that I think it looks like. Which is the one that's got the painted things? The oh, the like hats changing things. hats. Yeah. Mm. Oh well, that it, it could be down the Mornington Peninsula because there's quite a lot of beach huts down that way. Yeah, I just purely yeah. Sorrento or somewhere like that. As you said, we'll go as wrong as possible so we can get people writing in and correcting us. Yes. How about we just yeah. say I was filmed on Bondi? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let's just make up places in Victoria or or even New South Wales. Surface where, paradise where in Victoria. I'm, I'm going to say it was shot in Henley Beach in South Australia, and then that'll really get people. <laughs> it, it looks nothing like Henley Beach, but anyway. I just want to know which garbage dump they had to film at for the one line. <laughs> For like two or three seconds in there. I, I'm going to say they they flew to Adelaide and filmed at Wingfield. And they even got um Danny's infamous uh, bomb outfit with the little the fishnet tights and the uh you know, that weird strap thing that she's wearing at the end. Well I wish she put everything she owned on at once. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> that was a nice oh, throwback yeah. to last season. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, she's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we, we could we could maybe make a comment that this is this is another example of Jane trying to divert from the truth of who she's really snogging. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And this was probably the Which most. Which of convincing. course is Tommy G. It's Tommy G. And all, all the all the Jane and Tommy G. Truth is out there. You understand where I'm coming from with this. Uh, the only factor that I've got um, uh, left over is uh, that uh, this is it was a cover of a 1976 disco song by Melba Moore. So, not even being original, Danny. Although it's a it's a really good song, I still think this, uh, this is yeah, probably the best ever single, isn't yeah. it? Still gets quite quite a lot of airplay, doesn't it? Actually, no. Her her, her biggest single um, was 1990s "Love and Kisses," which reached up to number four. So oh, yeah. this is it got as high as 13. So this is in the Aria charts, by the way, um, and it made it to number 17. In Ireland and in the UK, number ten. Yeah, I think it. I think it stayed out of the top ten in Australia from memory, um, but yeah, it did a lot better in the UK. But it did get gold certified on, on from Aria. So also, I will have to mention too. I did try to reach out to Danny Minogue to get a comment on the video clip, uh, and I got dadoed. Dadoed again. Tumbleweeds, you got. Yeah, she like she did like one of my tweets some years ago. I said, "Wow!" I don't remember what it was. It was something about um, how I made fun of her fashion sense many years back, and um, she did improve since then. <laughs> something like that. Floor's open if she does want to uh, make a comment on that video clip and how accurate it was. I think the song was obviously it predicted the demise of uh, of the marriage way before it actually happened. So <laughs> yeah. um, that that might have um, they jinxed it, didn't they? <laughs> but that might be a factor in as to why she's not. Speaking of which, if if Julian McMahon wants to comment on this um, video clip, he's more than welcome to jump on and slag off his ex-wife. Now it's time for muckraking. Good old muckraking. And Mickey's egging on Jace a bit after that passionate video. I wouldn't have brought it up, but I deserve attention. You sly dog. (laughs) To see him (laughs) dip like that. (laughs) Actually, interesting story with that. That kiss we did, Mm -hmm. we got it in one take, the first take. But Jane Kennedy insisted we do it again and again. <laughs> believe that? No, quite frankly, I don't. What are the time? Good work, Jace. But, you know, we all know who she's really snogging. <laughs> <laughs> they put together probably the, one of the best muckraking segments that they've ever done, really. 
uh, and that is creating the muckraking magical mystery tour that people were complaining that they had lost touch with their roots. I'm taking the public to the celebrities. <laughs> Do that again. Public. Public. Celebrities. Public. Public. Celebrities. Public. Celebrities. Public. Celebrities. Public. Celebrities. Public. Celebrities. Public. Celebrities. Clap that, you fools. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this, this is what I like uh, about uh, Mick and JC. And pretty much the, the this whole episode in general is that there's quite a lot of looseness to it. It's mm. like very truly anything can happen. And I, 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 I like how much looseness there is in amongst all the pre-recorded stuff. Fully agree that. This is where they really shone like the looseness was comedy gold. Mm. And unfortunately, none of this made to the best of. So thank goodness we had our VHS copies. Yeah, stupid Beatles songs. Oh, I know, right? (laughs) Throughout the entire thing of this special was the Magical Mystery Tour theme, which I've tried to edit out as much as possible. (laughs) Impossible. Uh, It's just, it's too fundamental to the sketch, including the name on the bus, Magical Mystery Tour, so within mm. the correct font. So you just can't. I mean, thankfully, this sketch is sort of broken up into little pieces throughout uh, one of the Best Bits compilations. So, and thankfully, it still works. Yes, it does, especially um, with the whole start of the Magical Mystery Tour where they go out to the general public and they end up recruiting Myrtle Woods. Isn't she great in this? She she really, you know, she's she's brilliant Myrtle Woods because she looks like this classic little old lady, but she, she'll just do anything and she's brilliant at it. And so they start going on their travels. No, no you're still no. Brady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Phil. Get in. No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Phil. Oh, it's really decent of you to stop for me. Thanks yeah, for that. Celebrity stooge Philip Brady's back. Jesus Christ, it's Phil Brady. Yeah, that, it was pretty much ragged on Phil for this whole mystery tour thing. Yeah, so if it, if it wasn't that obvious uh, just from hearing the audio, basically, they, they, they drive away a bit just as he's about to get to the door handle. Yeah, th- thank you. I should have explained that. <laughs> that that old piece of comedy, cl- classic of people who've just got their driver's license and they're picking up friends. As they're doing a tour around Melbourne, they uh, end up going to Molly Meldrum Street. This is Molly Meldrum Street. You're oh, you're this. kidding. No, Myrtle, listen up. Listen up. Oh, oh, Molly Meldrum lives here. If we're lucky enough, oh, there he is there. Oh, oh, oh Molly Meldrum. Yeah, Molly throwing a bottle at the car. And very happy to do it too. <laughs> yeah. But have you actually seen Molly's house? Um, yeah, the Egyptian themes. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. obsessed with Egyptian stuff, isn't he? Very, it was yeah, very, there very was a, there, was, there was a live cross on the footy show to, um, to inside his house uh, from memory, and yet very Egyptian themed. They did go down the road and Bouncer from Neighbours was walking across the road and, quote, gets hit, unquote. <laughs> first first Todd, now this. Yeah, yeah. Didn't throw a piece of cheese on his chest to break, wake him up. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. And uh, so Phil goes on with his stories from yesteryear. Guys, I don't think I've told you this story about Graham Kennedy and the night he was going to do a big production number. Yes, Phil. Well, this will be a new story for you. Tony LeBron was starring in the pajama game at Her Majesty's Theatre. And she. We know. Guys, I'm sure this will be a new one to you. I was comparing in Melbourne tonight. I was doing it on my... Phil, shut up. Shut up. 
Now, <laughs> he's still going on and on like that with his radio show, isn't he, Daniel? Yeah, uh, he does a, a show late on Sunday nights on uh, 3AW in Melbourne called Remember When, uh, where they, um, the first half of the show is uh, going back to a, a particular year in history and uh, looking at all the entertaining things in it. And, yeah, he does pepper uh, the show with a lot of anecdotes. He said that he's going to eventually compile, compile them into an autobiography called Get off the red carpet. I only want to see stars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Simon Owens as host, and yeah, just it's quite great little show. You should listen to the podcast as well, everyone. Um, but as uh, they go on, Myrtle is sitting up at the back of the mystery tour van. Bit of the wacky tobacco going on. It looks well, like an ordinary cigarette know. at first, and and then we then there's the implication that it's a there's a bit more involved in the cigarette than just ordinary tobacco. Um, which which is the, the idea of a little old lady smoking dope is, is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and and then yeah, then we keep going. We who's the next guest? Uh, Count Count Paul Brogowski, isn't isn't it? Is the next one? Yeah, from tonight live with Steve Weizard. Yeah, who's um he's wiping windows at intersections. I I don't know. Had, had he been sacked or was the show axed or something at that point? I can't remember. It was on the borderline, I believe. Yeah. I think it was, yeah, or it was just at that edge of um well they found us out that we're mimicking another american late night talk show other than phil ranting on about his stories and myrtle changing a flat tire then the van pulls up to the sullivan's house which is also on the best bits this is where the original sullivan's house used to be well they pulled it down a couple of years ago unfortunately they forgot to tell dave hi dave <laughs> damn this Nice cameo by Paul Cronin there. And doesn't Paul sell that line, damn this war, muckrakers? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a shame that the audience just start cheering and laughing over the top of it because you can't quite hear it, but it, he does it brilliantly. Phil needs to go to the toilet and they take off after he hops out. Yeah, again. And uh, they also pull up to Tony Martin's mansion, which I'm guessing, what's that mansion? Oh, Ripon Lee. Ripon Lee Mansion. See, we definitely need the Melbourne person here. <laughs> Uh, and so that's where Tony is in a smoking jacket and two bikini-clad women are throwing a beach ball around to each other. Which, if we take previous muckrakings uh, 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 to heart, could suggest that those two women are from the set of Paradise Beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you remember the article from Juice Magazine, which explained um, that they actually had to do it in... They, they, they basically were saving money by just having them do all the things at once. So I wonder if... <laughs> This was something that they, that they filmed earlier as well when they were used for some other sketch. But, yeah, it's one of those classic ones where he's smoking a pipe, he's just, and then he notices them. Yeah, that's when Mick yells out. Shave his asshole! <laughs> now, now it's also, very, very much a Hugh Hefner vibe going on, isn't it, with Tony? Well, see, I, I, I see Tony in that smoking jacket, and all I'm thinking of there is... If they ever do an Australian version of Taskmaster, <laughs> Tony should so be the Taskmaster, the the the, the Greg James uh, analog in the in the Aussie version. I think he'd fit it really well, especially yeah, sitting in a throne with the smoking jacket. He would, wouldn't he? He friggin' nails that. It looks too natural in it. We've got to start the petition now. <laughs> <laughs> So after the tour wraps up, uh, the van drives past the camera and Phil does his moon face impression, basically a fruit bowl against the window. Now, I did reach out to Philip Brady to get his comments on 
this on this whole sketch, in fact, this episode in general. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't get a recording of him, but I did get an email or correspondence. And this is what he had to say. So this is from the desk of Philip Brady. It should be on the record that the posterior tag at the end of Muck Taker's sketch is not mine, <laughs> but belongs to my stunt double, Mick Malloy. They didn't pay <laughs> They didn't pay me to moon, and he's actually got a moon half moon emoji. <laughs> so, Philip, that's muckrakers above. Oh, so he's referring to the emoji. Uh, thanks for the compliments. I like the bit where I am jumping on the bed. <laughs> ah, yes. Back in season one. Yeah. So that's Mick's ass. So any fans of Mick, you know, there's his ass. Enjoy. Yeah, the outer season. Oh, another another boy awakening moment. <laughs> Is this exclusive? Did we know this beforehand? Is this like a world exclusive that this was this mix? Of... A world exclusive. Yeah. That 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 Nick was Philip Brady's stunt butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't on the best bits, so yeah, it looks like it. Exclusive to the Champagne Comedy Podcast. <laughs> Matt, have you reached out to Mick Malloy to confirm this? No, uh, but I. But I'm pretty sure I don't need to. There's, I'm sure there's a few people there that can confirm. Yeah, I'm sure if you go to <laughs> like a, a Tigers game or whatever. That's just the sort of thing we could do. Just turn up to his pub. Yeah, let's get, let's get down the pub and ask him. Now it's time for a live sketch and it is the International, can't say that word, committee submission. Oh, wait, you can say it because it's not during the Games. So the International Olympic Committee submissions for the 2000 Olympics. And you have Beijing, Manchester... Berlin, Sydney with a bribe, and Port Moresby, which I freaking love that 2001 T-shirt. <laughs> that is great, and and also on the judging panel, one of the one of the people on the judging panel is Santo, who seems to be dressed as Kerry O'Brien. <laughs> with the red hair. I was thinking more it was one of the Jeff and Terry Bailey wigs. <laughs> it, it's kind of got that vibe too, but it, it's got a bit of a sort of 90s Kerry O'Brien vibe going on as well. Yeah. Um, the songs performed, Beijing had Jane and Judith, uh, and that's pretty much all about propaganda, pandas and violence. To the tune of Mr. Sandman, which they've got Mr. Samraj, da-na-na-na, etc. Now, uh, the other one was Manchester's song, which is Tony, uh, dressed up in a steel mill uniform. Manchester, Manchester, there's not much to say Unemployment is high and it rains every day With juvenile crime and industrial squalor I really don't know why we've wasted your time Thanks very much, I'm off to the UK Majestic Club Thanks very much And true to his word, he can sing with an ochre or an English accent I'm disappointed that he's going to the UK Majestic And not the Whinging Pom Baron Bistro <laughs> <laughs> They they don't need the whinging pom. All all the bars are the whinging pom in Manchester. <laughs> True. Oh, check out the jogs on that. <laughs> you know what? The one time I went to Manchester, it was absolutely pissing it down. So that that song is completely true. But of course, Manchester got the Commonwealth Games in two thousand and two, so they didn't they didn't waste their efforts there. They eventually got something. Yeah, I actually went to the Manchester Commonwealth Games. It was the only time I've been to Manchester or some sort of sport thing. <laughs> was it was it raining? Was it raining? It, it rained. I'm pretty sure it, there was a bit of a rainy vibe, yes. Mm. It was one of those freebie press trips <laughs> back in the day when, when those things were happened pre-COVID. When there was a press. <laughs> uh, that's true. 
We have Berlin's entry, which is Tommy G and Robin Lederhosen, and they don't sing about anything positive, really. In 1936, we had our first Olympics. Adolf was a guest of Are You Know? In 72, they came to Munich. Athlete, official, and the piano. I guess we're not painting such a rosy picture. So we're technically the house and I think we go. Oh, go. Danke, danke, wiedersehen. He's right. Just the two. Two times where just shit hit the fan in the world. Yeah, but I mean, there's so, there's such a huge cheer from the audience when they see the Lederhosen come out. Which point, of like, pedantry, point of yeah. pedantry here. Lederhosen is, is in southern Germany mainly. Pedantry. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> so if it, if, it, if it had been Munich bidding, Lederhosen, fine. Berlin, you don't see anyone in Lederhosen. Well, I blame myself because I'm the one who said Lederhosen, so... Lederhosen yeah. <laughs> in the pedantry <laughs> style. Lederhosen. I did love the throwback to when um, they decided to do the score for that one. Bernard, what did you think of uh, Berlin? Talent, nil. <laughs> Presentation, nil. Potential, absolutely nil. And they reminded me of the two lesser known Von Trapp boys. <laughs> Actually, actually, just quietly, Jeff, I think that uh, had Manchester got the rest of the village people out, maybe he would have done it. Oh, yes. Ch- channeling uh, Bernard King, uh, critiquing Razia, you might yeah. recall. Talent, nil. Presentation, nil. Potential, totally nil. But a sum total of ten for generosity. And also channeling the lesser known Dados. <laughs> <laughs> It's a pity that they haven't got Mick in a bald wig there with a, a few sort of 80s sideboards, but, you know, we can live with that. And and really, like again, this is pointing to the looseness that, that's peppered throughout the episode. All of these asides that happen between the acts are just gold. So, uh, you know, whether um, it's uh, Santo likening uh, Jane and Judith uh, representing Beijing as uh, the Blakeney twins or Cheetah or Tony uh, representing Manchester as being uh, three uh, village people members short <laughs> I, I, I love the <laughs> reference to the Blakeney twins because it just shows you it just it straight away puts you into the like an exact spot in time between let's say mm. 1989 to 1992 <laughs> very <laughs> but, short surely it's shorter than that yeah. <laughs> Did their careers span that long? <laughs> yeah, give them enough rope. Also, um, one more, last but not least, Sydney. Well, you've not back, Melbourne, Atlanta came through. Now Sydney is bidding, and we're not threatening you. But the list of our cities, well, it's growing short. The next Aussie bids, Devonport. <laughs> Sung by Triple J. Judith, Jason, and Jane. <laughs> and next next episode, we're going to find out if they've won or not. Because you know, I don't know. Oh yeah! Don't spoil it. <laughs> Barjas, episode four. Where's me bloody chips? Based on the novel by Salman Rushdie, of course. Now, I, I'm I'm thinking maybe we should start taking bets on who future episodes of Barjas are being written by, because we've had some very famous authors, you know. So I, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm going to go with Jane Austen as a future Barjas <laughs> author. Has any, anyone here on the panel got any other ideas? I'd say maybe Stephen King or Michael Crichton. Uh-huh. Maybe that's too modern. Too, too lowbrow for uh, the Barjas, so surely. Yeah, I mean, it's quite, quite highbrow. I mean, we're, we're talking <laughs> your Harold Pinters, you know, your Samuel Beckett's. Samuel Beckett. Yeah. That kind of 
that kind of vibe, you know, Os- Oscar Wilde, possibly. Who who knows? Any, any other thoughts here? We could brainstorm a few potential barge ass authors. What about J.D. Salinger? Yep, J.D. Yeah, Salinger. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm, I'm not much of a literary person, so I don't know. Maybe they might stick Ross Wilkie's name in there at one point. <laughs> 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 but it's also uh, this episode is guest starring Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. Is he any relation to Dan Illich? <laughs> <laughs> this whole episode, Barjas is after his chips. Big Mac. Wake up, Sarge, you're dreaming. McNuggets. Here we go, Sarge. Apple pie. Sir? What the f- Hello, can I take your order, please? Chips. Do you want fries with that? <laughs> you got to admit, though, that this one was a little bit all over the place. There wasn't much of a... like. It was just things segged in just to keep the story spaced out a little bit. And Burke cracks down on bad fashion, which is just an absolute perler. And after he discovers that they didn't give him his fries... You full size? Quarter pounders, McNuggets, filling a fish on McChockers. Well, it's a good thing they forgot to give you your fries then. Hey. Eh? It is revealed that Spuds makes Barjas horny. And it's, yeah, pretty much just a setup for Barjas speaking to, well, we don't know what her occupation is, to be honest, but uh, just a, a, young, a, a, a young lady who's, a, who's a, wearing a, a good looking female. Yeah. yeah, who looks like she's she's maybe going to a nightclub or something. You know, she's, she's dressed like that. Um, looks like it's possibly shot at St Kilda as well because it, it's a sort of <laughs> be- beachy vibe to it. <laughs> um, and and then we find, and she said, "Well, I've already got an overweight date," and and then that's revealed as Barry White. <laughs> yeah, and so while the Barry White music is playing, magically, and this is where it kind of steers off the rails, but it's bloody funny, and it cuts mm. to a radio station where um, the announcer goes, "And that's enough, Barry White. It's time for the polka." And then some guy intrudes, and they start dancing the polka it does look like like it's some sort of weird scuffle where uh, yeah one one guy's trying to fight another guy and a woman's trying to take away a radio and yeah for a time it does look like that's uh, one man's leading the other put it this way the, the crawford's fight choreographer i think needed to rework it slightly <laughs> to make it realistic it's, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a bit under rehearsed if only dancing with the stars was around at the time yeah Oh, imagine Lucky Grills going around the dance floor. They just have some, dangle some chips or pizza in front of him to get the move. Oh, imagine dancing to Achy Brokey Heart with that. Oh, my God. Do you you want to hear my Lucky Grills anecdote? I I can't believe I've forgotten to tell you this, but years ago I was at a Sizzler restaurant. Um, Of all places. Yeah, this was around 1993, and I swear that Lucky Grills was there as well. And if there's if there's any less appropriate, you know, restaurant, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's all you can eat. More, it's it's kind of like it's like you know what what's what's the restaurant that Lucky Grills would go to? Well, Sizzler clearly, and and there he was in Sizzler. It was extraordinary. Oh, that's a wow. That, that is fantastic. Was he? Yeah. Was he just? Piling on the dim sims. Well, he didn't. I didn't observe him carrying particularly large plates of food around. But you know, he was at a Sizzler restaurant, so he could stay there forever and eat as much as he liked. That's that's the way they they get you. They're really small plates at Sizzler. 
So, yeah. so, that, so that you can fill up on the non-delicious fillers, as Ed Cavalier calls it. Yeah, but they they only give you one slice of that cheese bread, right? And the rest of it, you've got to you got to you know, fend for yourself. Fill up yourself. Yeah, exactly. Imagine that him just to pay off his meals or whatever. They get him to do the ads from the nineties. Tell me something. I'm into something good. Remember yeah. those commercials? <laughs> Sorry, that's my just impression. Google those Sizzler ads, you'll know what I mean, from the 90s. Also, just quickly, uh, the line I really love in this Barjas, uh, and you, you, you kind of touched on it a bit, Alison, the young woman uh, saying to Barjas, I've already got an overweight date, and uh, Barjas retorting, that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's top-shelf writing from, from Mick and Tone. They were back to the stage, and Jane plays clips of personalities auditioning for the hostess, of Sale of the Century because Joe Bailey was fired. Oh, I'm getting shivers already just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wanted to isolate that grab. That was So awesome. there appears to have been a succession of uh, hosts of Sale of the Century, one of them being Georgie Parker. There is a very short clip on YouTube of Georgie Parker co-hosting Sale of the Century if you if you Google it. It's, it's just a few seconds long. But, yeah, then they, they uh, switch to uh, alternative presenters, Helen Wellings, um, from her consumer journalist angle, talking about the faulty door mechanism of the uh, of the fridge being a death trap, <laughs> and then uh, Amanda Kelly with her Beyond Two Thousand hat on, talking about um, the 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 fridge that actually has an inbuilt VCR, which is a precursor to the internet fridge, which uh, <laughs> never came true. to fruition. Yeah. But again, it's a bit of a prediction of the future, quite an accurate one. Um, not far from the truth there. Oh, there was Margaret, <laughs> Margaret Pomerantz and Anne right. is the other two. Ah, that's right. So, yeah, Mar- Mar- Margaret Pomerantz gives it three and a half stars despite David Stratton <laughs> hating it. <laughs> and, yeah, Anne Sanders uh, saying what surely must have been her catchphrase on Australia's Most Wanted. Have you seen this fridge? <laughs> and yeah, this is, it's a really traditional kind of sketch, I think. Like, it sort of, it does remind me of those many Saturday Night Live sketches. And like, even though the SNL sketches had, you know, fictional caricatures of celebrities, I, I am sort of wondering whether they had these types of uh, sketches um, uh, like this, this early on, you know, pre the, pre the late show. I would have thought. Um, it will be similar to anything that we'll do on fast forward full frontal. So if you want, we'll make it local, because especially uh, with full frontal. I still remember from season one where they were looking for a replacement. I think it was for a John Lennon replacement or whatever. Uh, and they're doing the love me do thing. And so it always goes, so please. And then they cut to the cartoonish, uh, impersonating caricature caricature of you know whatever yeah so it, it just it reminded me of that full frontal fast forward style yeah I'm, i must admit yeah probably yeah alternative auditions is probably a pretty stock standard concept no matter what uh comedy show it's been written for i must admit the the yeah the surprise out of this is getting the actual helen amanda margaret and and to uh who, who all agreed to say uh uh, uh, sorry, who all said yes uh, to to yeah. being to being heightened versions of themselves for this sketch? Couch time and Tony, Jason, Judith are talking about lookalikes. So we'll I'll tweet out the images. It's just best to see it that way, especially uh, when someone found a model in a catalogue looking like Tony. It wasn't that. It's got, got a more it's... James Valentine vibe to it. Yeah, I think the the diff lamb was 
a much better lookalike. <laughs> well, clearly, clearly. And the person who sent sent that one in is clearly very intelligent and, and yeah, well, and, and started well at first. And these, these people are just trying to copy and jump on the whole bandwagon. Well, you know, you get you get you know when when you do something brilliant, you're going to get impersonators, aren't you? Yeah, you know, and, and you know you you just you just learn to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the look alike in that mentor ad was looking more like Sue Ann Post to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's an obscure name. Yeah, she, well, I wonder what she's. I know she's no longer in comedy anymore, but I wonder what she's doing now. Is she still in comedy? I don't know. Which out of you was Sue? I haven't. I haven't heard anything about Sue Ann Post for like twenty years, and and she was really massive at one point. She was on Martin Malloy a fair bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, Matt, you, you, you glossed over uh, Tony essentially revisiting the scene of the crime, as it were, with the IOC sketch. Tony just outright uh, asked to the audience, did you notice me completely stuff up the song? And sort of like saying that he, like, he, missed, he messed up the order of the words and he essentially saved it by saying, thank you very much at the end. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did too. Because it didn't rhyme. And I, I thought that was weird when I was watching it. And, yeah, can he play it again? Manchester, Manchester, there's not much to say. Unemployment is high and it rains every day. So that the juvenile crime and industrial squalor. I really don't know why we've wasted your time. Thanks very much. I'm off to the UK Majestic Club. Thanks very much. See, see, squalor probably was meant to rhyme with dollar or something. Oh, you know, like, sorry, we've wasted your dollar. Or I, I don't know. I don't quite know what the line would have been, but I'm going to guess dollar was the rhyming word or bother yeah could have been yeah squalor i don't know why we even bothered because like he does uh say sorry for wasting your time industrial squalor why we bothered or or, (laughs) maybe but see the thing the, the thing is that i don't think we would have noticed the error if tony hadn't brought it up well, yeah, it, it sounds like it's a deliberate error in the song, right? I think he totally got away with it, but obviously that really annoyed him so much that he had to say it. Mm. And yeah. then suddenly we all go, ah. He did ah. his own. Pedantry. On himself. Yeah. <laughs> he did, didn't he? Because that, isn't that the golden rules? Like if you make a mistake or whatever and you stand up or a joke that goes flat or anything, you just continue on. Yeah, you make it look like it was deliberate. There we go. We just rehashed something from nearly 30 years ago. So, whew. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, returning to the lookalikes. And also they point out in the Courier Mail that uh, there's a surprise look of someone looking like Jason. So that one's now a this better... this person really does look like Jason. Yeah, that was a yeah. lot better. After that, Judith reads a letter out, but she does point out something. I've got a little letter here saying, uh, Dear Judith, well, it sort of goes on about how hilarious I am for a couple of paragraphs, <laughs> and then it says... Uh... <laughs> I think that'll do it. <laughs> the ragging And um, how does Judith's skin look so fresh and young looking? And so that's where they... Because bring... he's 25 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is where they bring out the big prop, which is the rejuvenator. And this is on the best bits. So they decide to use this Doctor Who-like contraption on the oldest person in the cast, and that is Santo. Yeah, so the the idea is that Santo walks into it and he's going to come out younger. And, of course, he he walks in and out walks a small boy who's about 10 years old, who who does look like him. Um, And then then they think, oh, yeah, that... They think, oh, that's a bit young. So the boy goes back in, and then out the other end comes Nono Chilaro. Yay! <laughs> so they've gone completely the opposite. It's Santo, surely. It's just Santo, very old. <laughs> ah, I'm spoiling it now. 
the magician never reveals their secrets. But he does do that double look as well, the double take. I love the double take. Yeah. yeah. Again, another example of looseness. There's also Tony uh, at the end uh, dropping the line, now we won't need the Graham and the Colonel wig. And ah, the next segment, this is where the teaser comes in. In true Hollywood style, Bugs Bunny opened Movie World, assisted by the Queensland Premier and a handful of Tinseltown's famous faces. Earlier, the stars joined a grand parade. All seemed impressed with the Movie World idea. Very nice. Oh, yeah, it's a real hoot. It would be so great to have done that. I think it's great. Are you having fun? But it's not and all so hype. So that was... Well, hang on. Why are all the vox the people vox popped American? There's, because... there's not one Australian vox pop there. Well, there is, technically. I'll tell you who's in it. That's actually a news clip from ABC for the opening of Warner Brothers Movie World in 1991. Now, um, they had Clint Eastwood there, Kurt Russell, Goldie Horn and Mel Gibson. Ah. So you, you can't quite hear it's them from, no. from that. No, I'll tweet out the video and send you the video later. It's on YouTube. Then you got Wayne Goss, uh, who also cuts the ribbon as well. This is more or less shit scared. So shit scared at Warner yeah. Brothers Movie World. But you can see where, you know, when they had Wayne Goss uh, doing the uh, Marbo game in the previous episode? Yeah. This is probably... Ah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we were wondering if they, they went up there to, to film it, and they did, yeah. Yeah. So that's just an assumption. We, we don't know that for sure, but please, uh, anyone from the Late Show, reach out. We've already uh, stretched our friendship in the check bounce for Jason. So, <laughs> hello, Jane. Hello. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, shit scared on location at Warner Brothers Movie World. Wheelchairs and strollers. Wheelchairs, and that's the wrong sign, Mick. Read the one above it. Warner Brothers Movie World. Warner Brothers Movie World. Warner Brothers Movie World. Yeah. Unfortunately, the wheelchairs and strollers sign no longer exists. Aww. Before I go into this, I did try to reach out to any spokesperson from Village Roadshow to comment on this whole sketch. Unfortunately, they couldn't match the times that we were available to record. So maybe further down the track. So try to get you know their opinion, thoughts on how much times have changed and everything because a lot has changed. Yeah, like my left foot display is kind of gone now. Oh, I think I think yeah, the the Police Academy stunt show <laughs> is now. I think it was Fast and Furious last time I looked. It went from Police Academy stunt show to Driver, and then something about Fast and the Furious. And like the the the, the Wild West stunt show, I think that turned into Maverick a bit later on and now, in the nineties, and now, now it's, it's gone back to something generic, probably. They basically do a tour of Movie World, such as um, Make Your Own Music video, which is not there anymore. Uh, the 4D Cinema, which has gone through about three or four different types of movies now. Last time I checked, it had like a Shrek 4D adventure there, but could be totally wrong now. It's been a oh, while. It's too modern. I, I after they talked about Movie World in the Paradise Beach sketch, um, there was a little bit of a cult status with with uh, everyone going, "Oh, let's go to Movie World." So in June, school holidays, I remember going there, and I still have the ticket here from when <laughs> nice. I was at Movie World. Ah, cool. Twenty uh, seventh of June, nineteen ninety three. Uh, so that was prior to this um, being broadcast. So obviously that would, would have been fresh in my mind and I would have been very excited looking at all these uh, locations and the police academy and all of those going, oh, I was there, I was there. So, but yes, this is the admit one. Um, this ticket valid only on the date stamp below 
the owners and operators of these premises and attractions shall not be liable for any injury or damage or any property arising from any cause whatsoever, including the negligence of the staff while on these premises or attending any of the attractions. Kind of sounds a bit like Len Rowan. (laughs) 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 But I'll tell you one thing that's always been there since day dot, and that is Sylvester. There's Sylvester. Sylvester, where's Mick? Where's Mick? Mick, Mick, Mick! The amount of times I've been tempted. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently they they got in trouble for doing that because that was in a public area. They pretty much take a tour of the Police Academy stunt show as well. Movie World, Wimbledon for stuntmen. And this is centre court. Around these parts, Tommy, I'm top C. Oh, the ego dripping off of that quote. As Rob is describing all the stunts and everything else, you've got Mick who's basically doing Tom Fullery all behind him. Yeah, it was, it was pretty easy for the actual Mick uh, during most of this shooting because he didn't have to do much out of it. You know, he's just been replaced by actual stuntmen. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? Because we already know that he's quite a successful stuntman from the, an earlier sketch. <laughs> a, stunt, a stunt double, I should say. <laughs> the stunt bum. <laughs> Hang on, you mean that's not him on the motorbike and doing the car tricks and falling off the Wild West Hotel? Oh. Way to ruin it. Other than the My Left Foot stunt show that Rob's prepping as well, then you're at the saloon where it's basically cowboys and Indians. And and uh, Rob getting punched, uh, not as a stunt, but just because uh, the other guy hates his guts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what makes it is all the little details where, where Rob's going around going, we can't we can't have sharp corners, you know, and all all this kind of you know all this detail stuff, and then he just gets hit hit in the face. So, you know, he kind of gets his comeuppance there. There's not much else to this uh, sketch, um, uh, apart from uh, highlights of the Wild West show, uh, interspersed with all of these cutaways of Mick and Rob in, in the audience, you know, like one of them really tilting their heads back and really showing us their teeth as they laugh at something that we <laughs> something really funny that we can't see. And then, like, another shot with them sort of overanalyzing and sort of going, I can't think of how to describe it, but, you know, you, you can see it in the video. So after they finish that movie, well, Mick picks up Rob in the police academy car and runs him over. So, great little stunt work there. Yibbity, yibbity, that's all, folks. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've, I've got to say, it's, it's kind of amazing how much uh, they were able to get away with uh, at, at Warner Brothers Movie World. And, well, for starters... Once again, who says you can't advertise on the ABC? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably after That's... all this stuff they've gone, you know, we should be a bit more tighter on these <laughs> the product placements. Well, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sort of wondering how much of it was the DJ approaching Movie World or Movie World approaching the DJ saying, you know, why don't you do Shit Scared at Our Place? Yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone who was in the, the audience at the time, if anyone's listening. Uh, yes, w- w- wondering who that... Uh, jumpsuited, uh, helmeted guy that we didn't see through the Wild West show is. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> taking, taking the standing ovations. Toilet break time, and it is Act 3, Raymond Shield with Balm in Gilead. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Yeah, I, I think Raymond Shield obviously has been singing this at church over the years and he thought, oh, I'll, I'll give it a go on potluck. And, yeah, Bernard had things to say. I found a full 
review of it, like even Anne <laughs> Wills, so, <laughs> as the get this joke. She was part of the desk as well, uh, reviewing or judging Raymond. So, do you want to hear what Anne has to say? You guys have not oh, heard this. Oh, go on. definitely. Yeah. All right, here we go. Oh. All right, what did you think, uh, Anne, of Barman Gillian? I'd never heard of it before. You but wouldn't. that doesn't mean anything, no. right, does it? Because no. I've only just heard that there's a person called Cindy Lauper. I mean, you know. Number one Ra- in Beirut. <laughs> Raymond, look, I feel so sorry for you because I think you are very, very nervous. Am I correct? And, it, you know, like, it's almost like you could wish you hadn't done it, don't you? Sort of thing. But I've given you 29 points because, really, I know that deep down there there's a voice that's going to come out shortly. And, and perhaps you could come back again. Well, now that you've had your first experience, the worst is over. Come back again. So, when you compare that to Bernard's one... Raymond, did you prepare this work very thoroughly? A lot of rehearsal for it? Not a lot, not a great deal. It needed much, much more. Probably years of rehearsal. (laughs) You see, when you're performing on stage and you gaze at the musician and say, it's your turn and I'm now waiting for my turn and you're nodding at him, I'm sorry, that's, that's total unreadiness. I haven't ever seen any work yet in this series so unprepared, so unready to be seen. One technical fact, if you're going to sing vain, then it must rhyme with again. We don't sing again to rhyme with vain, unless, of course, we sing ben. The reason for rehearsal is technically to so prepare you to appear on stage that should you suddenly be nervous, you are automatically protected from it. You've prepared your work with such efficiency and dedication that you will sail through that nervousness. Underneath, it might be a, a, a seething torment, but out front, you'll glide across it. And that's, that's why, to do a legitimate theatre show, for instance, we will rehearse six to eight weeks. Don't just run through it to the hum of an engine or a passing aeroplane or something. So you have to thoroughly prepare. That position on stage is a very elite position, and you're not ready for it. Fine. Oh, all right. Okay, thank you. Uh, thanks, Bernard. See, the thing is, like, that, that is actually quite good advice, you know, for a performer, right? You've got to rehearse and, and then you're ready to deal with anything that comes up. It, it's just that it, the way he says it, it's really harsh, you know? And I, I, know, Ray, I know Raymond Shield is not a very good singer and, and he needs some criticism, but there's a way to criticise people where you you don't make them suicidal, you know, <laughs> and, and Bernard didn't quite achieve it there. So when you compare it to Anne's uh, critique, uh, Anne was basically like Bernard's, just more polished and gentle. I, I think, yeah. I think, but, but Anne's is kind of unhelpful because it, it doesn't actually give him any advice. It just makes him feel better. Whereas Anne, Anne Wills might, have, uh, might as well have uh, put in the stock standard, you could have smiled more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, and that you is worse. <laughs> you, you need. You kind of need somewhere in between what Anne Will said, you know, which is, you know, don't give up, be positive, and keep trying, and all that. And so, and what Bernard said, which is, you know, you need to learn the techniques. You need someone. You need criticism in between that. I think. You're you're you're, you're right. It, it is really, uh, yeah, both ends of, of the spectrum, really. And I mean, Bernard's not really wrong. It's just that he's really, really blunt with the truth. <laughs> What was the total scores that you've got so far, Daniel? You can't include Anne's score there. Raymond got five points, and uh, this means uh, something really good for Razia. Oh, wow. (laughs) Who only got ten points, so she's no longer at the bottom of the leaderboard. It's now, uh, yeah, Raymond Shield with five points. Ouch. Wow. Mm. I don't think he deserved 
that low of a mark, but, but hey. <laughs> so so Razia is five, Razia is five points better than Raymond. Yeah. Mm. That means she's she's twice as good as as uh, Raymond, <laughs> and she and, and and she had you know nil talent, nil presentation. Yeah. What was it? Uh, yeah, talent, nil. Talent, nil. Presentation, nil. Potential, totally nil. But a sum total of ten for generosity. Made a t-shirt on that. If you ever want to buy a champagne comedy t-shirt saying talent nil and stuff on our red bubble store, just a plug there. All right. So thank you very much for that, Bernard and toilet breaker. Also Raymond shield and it's time for Graham and the Colonel. Oh wait, hold on. No, it's not. It is. This is Graham. You know, Colonel, I don't think I can go further without saying this and I don't want to be too frank, but you're not looking yourself tonight. Now I'm aware that a rejuvenator is actually on the premises. Do you think that we could actually use it again? I hope so. <laughs> because if you don't think that's a good idea, we're in trouble. Ah, Nono, who is a man of many words. Well, he said precisely one in that elderly operations centre sketch, remember? Of course. I? Yeah, basically after they go through that whole rejuvenation process again, so the Colonel's back as normal, uh, they have Yase Arafat's hat stand, presented by the Butcher of Baghdad. <laughs> There's also Chinese athletes breaking records. Uh, they should go for records that count, like the most amount of people stacked in the telephone booth. <laughs> Same with falling dominoes and the world's largest sausage roll. Oh, and there's also the Birdman Rally too. The Birdman Rally embodies the Olympic ideals. Longer, faster, higher, zanier. They're the four Olympic the... ideals. They used to be before, but they changed them. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a train wreck of Graham and the Colonel, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it's not getting a great reaction from the audience, but they they sort of, um, they plough on, shall oh, yeah. we say. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah um, there's a whole, the whole Queen joke when uh, they talked about the miniseries and then... Yeah, obviously they. Oh, sometimes Colonel, you are so stupid, because he thought that um, it was about Freddie Mercury. There's also um, the when Graham brings out the slideshow because uh, Beijing had no chance against Sydney for the Olympics, so they showed that John Fay will pull out the slide machine. Sydney monorail. <laughs> Taronga Park Zoo. <laughs> Don Lane's house. Oh, but the Olympics are ours. I mean, the, the, the toll gate at the bridge. I mean, it's got a scoopy kind of thing. A ferry. <laughs> That's as enthusiastic and high energised Graham and the Colonel was. I've, I've, I've got a feeling that was also a bit of a Sydney versus Melbourne punch-on sort of a thing. And then there was little old Adelaide going, Commonwealth Games, maybe? <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't get that, alas. Were we beaten by Manchester? Was that the one that... No, that was... Uh, we tried to bid for the 98 Commonwealth Games, which was... Yeah. Went to oh, Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur, yeah. And, and Adelaide's never bid since. No, the, the, be, the, the best we've had is that we got a few um, soccer matches uh, during the Sydney Games, and that was about it. I think there's still a stupid statue outside of... Um, What's now Cooper Stadium in Hindmarsh? So after Graham and the Colonel wraps up, you got the closing, the musical finale, which is meant to be T-Rex, but they end up getting a certain someone. I'm invincible. I'm paying money. Oh, sorry. <laughs> wrong one. Uh, Rex Hunt, bang a gong. Get it on. And apologies to get this. This is good. I like this. You know, Rexy really gets into it. It's an upbeat song. Yeah. 
there's some references to his football commentating and and his fishing programs. And yeah, it, this is one of the best ones, I think. Well, I did try to reach out to Rex and I was so goddamn close. Like it, it was so, so close. Uh, but again, this one, it was also bad timing um, mm. because late last night um, I got an email from his publicist uh, saying that he had spoken to Rex and it was not that he did not want to, but he had some things that didn't allow him to. Oh. Uh, it was so damn close. Rex, you're more than welcome to come on and have a chat. And, yeah, at the, at the time, uh, Rex Hunt was uh, quite a busy guy because uh, he had his uh, Rex Hunt Fishing World show on Channel 7 at 5 o'clock earlier that day. Mm-hmm. He did, so, didn't he? Yeah. Not, yeah. not to mention all the other you know, stuff that he sort of uh, sneaks into the uh, T-Rex performance. You know, talking about the football commentating and I'm not quite sure where the spruiking of the Nissan Patrol uh, went into it. Well, wasn't wasn't Nissan Patrol the sponsor of the fishing program, possibly? I'd say so. Might have been. Yeah. Well, there was no mention of Dixie ice creams either. So. <laughs> or Bay 13. Bay 13. No Bay 13. Ah, oh, sorry. Yeah. I know. That's a get this reference and so forth. Could easily go down that path. Everybody, if you haven't, and I would be very surprised if there are people who haven't, Look up Rex Hunt's Address to the Nation. Mm. It's on YouTube. It's all there in its full uh, glory. It's very dizzy stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, door is open, Rex, to... Get it on! Hey, I'm gone. Now get it on! ...to come onto the podcast. After the closing credits, really, that was playing during the musical finale, was there anything that you noticed that was out of the ordinary? Um, well a plethora of special guests uh, scrolled by. So we had Philip Brady, Nono Chilaro. Uh, we also had Paul Cronin, Paul Grabowski, Rex Hunt, Amanda Keller, Ian Molly Meldrum, Margaret Pomerantz, Anne Sanders, and Helen Wellings. We also had Fabio Katafi, Bill uh, Loitzu, Adriana Niku, Penny Taylor, Kim Wallace, and Myrtle Woods. I don't know who any of them are except Myrtle Woods. I couldn't find anything about them on IMDb. I'm not even sure where they were in the episode, to be quite honest. Well, I think I think the Italian named gentleman is probably the small boy, who was Santo, and and may, maybe the women are the sort of bikini women in Tony Martin's mansion. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Just a guess. And uh, the usual thanks uh, to ABC News, uh, the National Trust. Uh, that might have been for use of Rippenley, John Diedrich, Lucky Grills, uh, and the estate of the late Gerda Nicholson as well as the staff and stunt team of Warner Brothers Movie World. Now, here's a even cooler Easter egg. Well, not really an Easter egg, but you know uh, in the best bits where suddenly, like when I think it was either Volume 1 or it might have been Volume 3. Where, no, Volume 2. Volume 2. There we go. Thank you. End of, end, end of Volume 2 if you want to watch this next bit. Yeah. It, I I thought it was part of the best bit, like the compilation and stuff like that, not realising it was actually part of the episode where so when everything wrapped up, you had your ABC station ID, and then you had this. A flock of ibis take up position in an old dead red gum and arrange themselves along the branches and closer to the trunk. Christ, we shot a lot of this, didn't we? <laughs> the straw-necked pelican is another water bird that makes its home here on the swamplands of eastern Australia. We show it here as a means of getting away from that bloody tree. <laughs> It's just, it's, it's brilliant execution of this, I think. Certainly in making sure that there was, 
no voices of any of the regular DJ cast. Um, I'm not sure who the name of the actual voiceover artist used is, but it's just, it's played completely straight and then it just devolves. Mm. The, the only clue really that it's not real is, is you've got the late show audience laugh track on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but I, I've got this theory about this sketch, which is that the ABC used to have a, a sort of wildlife section where they would actually, you know, film wildlife and, and make wildlife documentaries. And that was based at Rip and Lee. And I'm wondering if maybe this is some off-cut footage that, that the wildlife team didn't use in one of their programs and, and the lecture thought, oh, we'll, we'll just cut together a bit of this and, and do a parody of that kind of documentary. And it's it's really very perfectly done. You know, the, the yeah. line, Christ, Christ, we shot a lot of this, didn't we? And then uh, I, I kind of I like the sarcastic bit, bit later on where he goes, oh, one of them's got a piece of grass. How very clever. <laughs> yeah. Now, just a Quick thing, can you go back to your program guy, Daniel? Uh, yeah. What was directly after the late show again? The British Teleplay Redemption. Okay, so imagine when you finish watching the late show and then you go, all right, time for redemption, and then you get that bloody doco. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what yeah, the hell is your program guy again, thinking, have I got this right? <laughs> the only similar thing I can think of, I forget the name of the British comedy show it's from, but, like, it was a... A British drama called Juliet Bravo that they like it sort of started like a normal episode and then it just devolves into Alison might be able to help, help me with this but like it sort of devolves into the the, the policeman not knowing what a, what a woman is I feel, oh that's, I that's it's Alexi Sales stuff did that wasn't it I mean there's so so many British sketch shows have messed around with continuity announcements and idents and and, yeah. all that, and false false beginnings and and all that um, but I, I'm pretty sure that there was an Alexi Sales stuff where it, it starts out and it's Juliet Bravo and then suddenly you realise Alexi Sales involved and then it goes into Alexi Sales stuff, I, th- I think. So I've just done a very quick Google on my phone and uh, you're right, it is Alexi Sales stuff and, uh, yeah, it's it's that Juliet Bravo spoof and, again, just like this, uh, this uh, Late Show parody with the wildlife, when it's done really... Uh, it's really funny when it's done really well and the DJ do it really well with the wildlife. Right right down to the use of the pig in suite. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that they have they've chosen to keep the audience laughter on there because that that makes you realise, oh, actually right, this this isn't a real they haven't suddenly cut to a real wildlife documentary. Yeah. This is actually still part of the show. Well, that's it for episode 34 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So please email us, champagnelateshow at gmail.com, Twitter at TLS Champagne, visit the website, champagnecomedy.com, uh, Facebook, The Late Show page, as well as search for the Champagne Comedy Podcast group on Facebook. It's on private, but answer the three questions and you're in. Also, our Redbubble uh, store, if you go into our podcast details, you'll see the link there. Uh, so I just want to say thank you so much, Alison, Daniel and Kim for coming on tonight and as always <laughs> no worries anytime excellent and so don't forget to enter the bar just competition you've got until episode 40 to get your recorded bits in a bar just quote and a fart noise and you could win those dvds all thanks to mygeekculture.com.au the competition's got nothing to do with Crawfords or DGen or abc or anything like that so thanks very much i'm matt catch you next episode thanks bye bye Asshole!
Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.